Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. This show is produced by the Powell Group, the leading business consulting firm in the gaming industry. Visit us online at IndieGame.Business to learn about our online digital events. We have some amazing sessions with people in the gaming industry, and you can participate for free and purchase inexpensive passes to our industry-leading business-to-business system. Now, here we go, Indie Game Business. everybody <laughs> my name's indy and the <laughs> man next to me is jay powell from powell group consulting and welcome to another amazing exciting episode of indie game business we want to thank tripwire presents for being such an amazing sponsor today we've got bobby white he's a game designer from 30 parallel or b-dubs b-dubs in the house and <laughs> developing and launching a game with subsequent updates and this is a super interesting game too yeah, and, so and for those of you in the U.S., he does not have 50-cent wings because we've already <laughs> tried to clarify that with the B-dubs. But, Bobby, let, let's start here. Tell us how you got into the industry initially and then walk us through your career up to this point. Sweet. Well, uh, buckle in for a nice little origin story, folks. Um, you may have heard this before and other shows that have appeared on recently, but I'll give you the cliff notes. Essentially, um Nine years, nine years of hard, sweating, uh, grueling labor in a metalworks factory is actually what prepared me for this line of work. Um, after probably about five of those, I was very much struggling uh, mentally and physically. Uh, the work environment itself was very toxic, uh, both physically and mentally. And uh, for whatever reason, uh, destiny, whatever you want to call it, deemed that I needed to be there to find out that that's not what I wanted to be doing with the rest of my life. So for the last two years specifically within that situation, within that um, dead-end job, no chance of uh, furthering any career or getting a decent raise. It was called semi-skilled labour for a reason. Uh, for context, just grinding welds off petrol pumps. Uh, but for those final two years, I made a, a decision within myself to... Go hard or go home. Uh, and specifically when I did go home and the four hours of consciousness and capability that I had after those shifts, I spent every waking moment I could finding out how to get into this industry. Um, that involved a lot of uh, a lot of podcasts, listening to a lot of podcasts, just like this one. Um, probably was listening to this one before I, <laughs> maybe I don't know if the timing lines up. But anything adjacent to game design from your your GDC talks to your podcast to your how-tos, 
but then over and above with Discord, get involved in the communities, really getting in to the nitty gritty and finding out what it actually entails to be within the industry. I was afforded a fantastic opportunity by my friend and mentor uh, to work at a small startup on a mobile project, a mobile idle clicker that we worked on. That game never seen the light of day. However, thanks to that opportunity, I was able to go in there with aspirations of becoming a, a, a narrative designer and came out of there with enough skills to call myself a game designer. Um, I was allowed to play around with the wireframing. I was allowed to come away with some UI and UX and work closely with the development team on what the game would look like. I was allowed to work endlessly on the content um, that would be within the game. Uh, using all of those skills that I had learned, um, basically I kind of took the leap uh, after nine years of working in that metal warehouse factory and doing this as moonlighting on the side. Um, the game, as I said, never came to fruition. And as a result, the startup had to, had to close. And I kind of just snapped, gave up my day job, laid on the couch for probably about a week, very, very upset, depressed, no light at the end of the tunnel. And thankfully, uh, my mentor, my friends, my family inspired me to go, you know what, this ain't it, this ain't going to be the end. So I went for a month straight, uh, sorry, close to about three months straight, just flat out every single day. My job was to get a job. And that's exactly what I did. I spent every waking day from nine to five in the morning applying to absolutely everything and anything I could find. And when I had done all that and there was no more jobs to apply to, I would go and follow up to the jobs I'd already applied to. When I'd done that, I went through LinkedIn and I added every single studio up and down the length and bed to the country. Once I'd done that, I went and got involved in game jams and you know collaborative efforts, anything that I could. Uh, and the final result of that was me uh, being hired as a vendor contractor uh, for a company who has uh, been an absolute godsend to me. I've had the opportunity to work uh, with GameFab, uh, the number one Roblox experience creator, uh, from which I was able to work on He-Man, which as a 37-year-old was a huge trip. It's fantastic. Uh, I then was also able to work with Hot Wheels, again, playing Hot Wheels in the tubs in my mother's uh, loft toys from back in the day. And more recently, I've been working on SpongeBob, which again is just crazy, just unbelievable. I'd say the highlight was when we had a, an influencer integration on the He-Man project with a little-known streamer. You might have heard of him, uh, some guy called Ninja Tyler Blevins. I don't, he's not really that big, I suppose. But uh, yeah, uh, come full circle. I have been able and been uh, privileged to be a part of the Thirty Parallel team. Uh, as they have uh, pushed for a kind of soft relaunch of the game with a huge update that we're dubbing 2.0 to the game Terra Alia. So that's where I am now. That's where we are. That's that's how we got here. All right, Dan, knock another one off the uh, tick box because ex-metal foundry worker has never been an origin story for us either. <laughs> I certainly have a unique uh, bit of backstory there. You know, I'm 37 now. Um, and I've been in the industry now roughly about four years. Um, but before then, it, it was a slog and it was hard. But I am living proof that if you can even put one hour a week aside, um, you can work towards something and a goal and giving yourself the experience needed. 
you know, maybe Pebs can do a poll in the Discord. What were you before you became a game designer? If you were something, I was a commercial fisherman. If you were something, I like if that. you were something, right. <laughs> I, I sold. You weren't a high school student or anything. I mean, didn't technically technically sold Not drugs needed. at Walmart. You know, I, I worked in the pharmacy, <laughs> so. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> like, well, what's your job in college? Yeah, I sold drugs at Walmart. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> there, there's a. This is going to be a great episode because there's so much stuff that we can cover. It's like we're going to go through, you know, working with remote teams and then launching and then gamifying education, which people have heard mm. me talk. I hate that word, but it's it is what it is. Yes. So let's start there. I mean. The game is, I'm, I, I'm going to say it is Bioware meets Duolingo. Does that, <laughs> that work? That... <laughs> That's one way of describing it. I've heard several. Um, I think the latest way that we have kind of tried to term it. Hi there. Apologies, we've got a co-host guest. The latest we've tried to term this is that this is a language learning aid in an RPG. And I know immediately to some people that might be a turn off. They don't want to learn a language. I know when I first came on board um, and I was kind of shown, uh, yeah, here's one of the games we've been working on. Like, oh, oh, it's magical. Okay. Oh, you learn language. Not interested. <laughs> I'll be the first to admit, honestly, I had absolutely zero uh, attention span back in French in high school. I was shocked and amazed when I played this game one, how much French I did retain whilst not trying to. I don't know what that says about me or the teachers. Um, but two, how fun it was to actually brush back up on that. How fun it was to realise how much I had retained. How much it, it felt like cheating without cheating, if that makes sense. You know, I'm like, oh, I know that. I know I shouldn't know that, but I know that. Um, and I found it very easy then to start retaining a lot of the words and the knowledge within the game. Uh, Ted Alia is just a, a fantastic work of, as you put it, gamifying learning. And it is. It really is. And I think at the end of the day, when we're trying to learn, that's probably the best approach. We want to put something uh, in place that people are going to feel accomplished by when they are attempting to learn. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the way I see it. One of my biggest criticisms about educational games and Lord, I got my fill of them during the pandemic because my son would come home. He was like in third grade at the time. And he's like, yeah, here's the games that we're playing for school. And I'm like, oh, my God, these suck. I mean, this is <laughs> absolutely horrendous. I, I tell the people that are creating these things, it's like you're not just competing against the other crappy games that are out there to teach you something. You're competing against Fortnite. You know, if, if you want these kids to play it because they want to play it, not because the teacher said they had to play it, you've got to make it fun. And <laughs> that's what you all have to do. I mean, whenever you can look at, a, at an educational game on Steam and it has mostly positive in the reviews and not, you know, mixed or, you know, mostly yeah. negative or something like that. Something has gone right here. So how did, from a design perspective, how did you all approach 
creating the game that was going to leave you with something at the end of the day, but at the same time was engaging enough that you didn't just like play it for the required amount of time and then turn it off and go play whatever. Yeah. So, um, I had a chance to fill transparency as mentioned before. Um, I had come on board towards the latter end of the development process of Terralia and its first, uh, state and instance, um, the impetus, as far as I'm aware, from speaking to the developers deck pile was exactly that was that we know how to make a, a a core game loop here that's strong that's fun that's entertaining and at the same time uh you feel uh, accomplished however what's missing from that and the spitballing that was going on was quite literally like how do we turn this magic um and it it really just kept boiling down to the magical language and the magic of language. And therefore that became an easy transition of, well, what if we gamified the learning of the actual individual languages? Um, and over the course of time that, that developed into 10 different languages, uh, for better or worse, setting ourselves up for <laughs> a nice little bit of challenge there. Um, but the, the end result, as you say, for me comes off as something very, um very interesting and i think a lot of as you say the the, the other go-to things that people would bring up your, your duolingos your rosetta stones although they do in some ways attempt to uh you'll give you that short-term gratification by learning um that nothing quite beats actually as a gamer being able to just run around in an rpg and distract yourself from the overarching uh language element of of the game so did the team, where was the origin story of the team? Did they come from education or did they come from games? No, they mostly came from games. Uh, the The bulk of the team are situated in Spain. Um, we work remotely. Uh, we have a fantastic uh, array of characters from all over the place within the studio. We've got uh, uh, Joao from Portugal. We've got uh, uh, Julia, a fantastic mark, marketer who's uh, from Poland. Uh, and myself, who's uh, from Middle Earth somewhere, you can guess in the comments if you want. Um, but yeah, it's. I think the language, the language learning, the as aspect of it probably came somewhere from the the the, the uh, sort of grant situation uh, where you can get money towards helping create games for educational value. Um, and that's a no brainer there. If you can get any kind of funding towards the, the product that you're creating um, and it's legit, uh why not you know yeah especially grant because free money is always good you know yes the money that you have to pay back is a whole different thing but the the, the free part of the grant fantastic all right so and you mentioned something there that is, is a wonderful segue into the next round of questions we've seen so many companies go remote you know during the pandemic well i mean Basically, every company had to go remote, at least in, the, yeah. in our industry during the pandemic. We're starting to see some of them come back. I don't personally understand the reason why everybody needs to be in an office, but I've also run a remote studio for 15 years. What are you know some of the ways and some of the tools that you all use to overcome just the logistic liability of you're not all together all the time? And so you've got to communicate both remotely and across time zones. Yeah. How do you all approach that? So um, for me, I don't know for uh, certain members of the team, the availability is quite an interesting thing. 
as long as everyone's open and honest about their availability during the week for a start for checkoff, then everyone's you know singing from the same hymn sheet. One of the easiest ways to do that is quite literally to Google calendars using your Google account and going at your Google calendar and blocking out in there quite clearly when you are available. Uh, there are also uh, some fantastic tools within Discord. We communicate through Discord primarily as a studio. Um, and there are some fantastic tools and bots uh, uh, that are available that can quite literally just automatically translate time zones for people uh, as long as they input their, their time zones to their profile. Um, outside of that, you're talking, you know, the, the biggest issue has obviously been space. Um, storage space for, for for the for the little fileage and what, what have you um but that stuff's a dime a dozen these days it's quite easy to pick up a, a nice little bit of uh, free storage here or or wider use storage there um but honestly those those are the re the only biggest, I wouldn't even call those drawbacks, they're just natural extensions of working remotely. We don't have a, a, an in-house network of computers that we can transfer things uh, to and fro wirelessly, no problem. Um, but outside of that, yeah, it's very smooth and very easy for us to be able to just chop it up at any moment and go jump in a voice chat and let's have a, let's have a quick call. Um, just as easy as it would be in a, in a studio situation, you have to go walk to their desk and talk to them, I would imagine. So, I mean, how big is the studio and how many meetings do you end up having a week? Because that's another thing that we've seen a lot of people complaining about. It's like, okay, no, we're not in the office now, but I'm spending three quarters of my time in meetings. Yeah, I think um, certainly the, for, for, from working with, with a bunch of different studios and positions remotely, I've seen that the, the, the uh, standard is to have at least a daily stand-up, have at least one call a day. If, you, if you're in deep in production, whether it's close to launch or the halfway point, you're probably going to want to have to touch base at least once a day. That can sound like overkill. It, it, it can be quite a pain in the backside, depending on your situation. Um, however, I think it kind of drives people to communicate very well. I think it gives us all the, uh, the impetus to bring up to each other anything that's outstanding if you've tried to comment to someone they maybe haven't replied if if there's a potential blockage coming up you have the capability to speak about it then and there and remind everyone then and there this is something that's coming up or this is something that's going on um that i know specifically the 30 parallel team has been doing that for a long time now, just daily stand-ups, Monday to Fridays, uh, just touching base early in the morning, making sure everyone has their ducks in a row and knows exactly what it is they're going to be doing for the rest of the day. Um, and I found, uh, specifically, as I mentioned, Joao, one of the uh, producers um, at Watch the Threat Parallel, just phenomenal when you have all your ducks in a row and you have the roadmap laid out. Those meetings can take 10 minutes um the size of the studio uh you're talking uh anywhere between 10 and 15 of us depending on who you include in that mix um but the actual meetings themselves can range from 15 minutes to you know hour hour and a half uh but then usually by that point people start dropping off who actually have are really busy and the conversation no longer uh, potentially pertains to what it is they need to to be there for 
I think my team would strangle me if we started having daily meetings. It's like we have one, <laughs> we have one meeting in the on Mondays, and that's good. It's not for, for everyone. Yeah, but I mean, we're not shipping a product either, so it's it's, it's it is a little bit different. I've now, been in some teams it was two meetings a week. I've been in some teams it's one meeting a week. I've been in some teams where, as you say, it's three four meetings a day, and you're just tearing your hair out. Going, I can't do the thing if we're always just talking about the thing. <laughs> <laughs> all of these meetings could have been an email all right yeah. so as you're getting close you know another one of the hurdles that that you have in addition to trying to mix entertainment with something that you're learning from is you know the qa process that a game like this has to go through so you not only have to go through technical and and gameplay checklist but you've got localization QA to do as well. So uh, talk a little bit about that and the challenges and how you deal with, with that aspect of it too. So that's been the biggest hurdle, uh, obviously, day one. It's a language learning game, so it's going to have to be uh, a lot of time and money and effort spent on LQA, uh, language quality assurance. Uh, LQA sends a shiver down many of our spines in the team whenever we mention it because we know it usually means something's been changed or there's there's a potential that something's not lining up. Um, and especially as I say, piling on ten languages certainly you know uh, we we didn't we didn't we didn't pack light we didn't pack light we were going shooting for the stars here. Um, the biggest issues have obviously arisen from uh, uh, the more difficult to learn languages, your your Chinese, your Korean, your Japanese. Um, a lot of these deal with, um, you know, the, the character romanizations. Uh, that's something that's been a challenge. Uh, but one of the best parts of this process and one of the coolest things of this process, I mean, you see we've got uh, mostly positive reviews and I would put that down to the relationship that you have with the community. The community has been integral at catching small things that, Otherwise, we wouldn't have noticed, you know. You can get LQA. You can have someone go through and make sure everything that you want this to say, or translate, sorry, has been translated accurately. That does not mean what you handed over to get translated <laughs> <laughs> in the first instance actually makes sense. So for like for my, for my part uh, in this 2.0 uh, update, was a lot of just going over and over and over the English translation and, and really diving deep into does this English make clear and concise sense to anyone playing it? For the most part, it certainly did. Um, but then we found out very quickly, you know, I've got a whole host of, oh, we'll just change this word or oh, we'll just slightly change this grammar. And then you realise, oh, yeah, but then that has to change across 10 different languages and not only that to you it may just be oh i'll move this one word or remove this comma that should be fine just to translate it like that that's not the case is anyone who does language translation can tell you one single word can change the whole meaning of a paragraph a sentence even a small quotation um so those have been really interesting challenges you can perceive that you know with a little bit of hindsight but at the same time it, it's, it's a case of trial by error. Um, and I think what's been fantastic about the fact that there's a lot of multilingual members within the studio uh, and then around the peripheral of the studio, we've been able to outsource a lot of that to, oh, you speak you speak good German, fluent German? Oh, could you play through the German? 
uh, a couple of times to see if you could find anything. Um, oh, you know how to speak more than three languages, right? Well, you're screwed. You're going to be playing the game for about <laughs> Welcome to QA. <laughs> yeah, yeah, quite literally. Um, but I think collectively as a group effort, the you know the idea was to get as much of that done that we could in-house uh, and then have that kind of quickly checked over by LQA, whereas this, the more difficult ones that we don't speak uh, certainly needed uh, a, a lot more attention. And even at that, you know, we've run into situations still where it's like there's maybe not a, a perfectly accurate translation for this there's maybe you know the the japanese characters don't actually fit within the ui box you know there, there are exceptions that, uh, that we've had to make to be able to go okay can we get this thing out can we get this thing playable are the majority of people going to enjoy themselves uh, and learn from it uh, but it's been a learning experience for ourselves and I would argue that uh, 30 Parallel is now probably situated itself as one of the, the experts in the field by having gone through this process now. So we know what not to do as well as, well as what to do. <laughs> and, and that's that's where you have to start. But if you're if anyone out there is wondering how, you know, something as simple as a comma can, you know, screw something up, just think of the sentence. Let's eat, Grandma. And and you have a comma in there, and then you take that comma out, and all of a sudden it's let's eat grandma. You know, it's um <laughs> <laughs> little differences in there that make all the difference of the world. So I mean, when you're approaching, because I mean, so you've got Chinese and Japanese in the game as well, right? So uh, Korean as well. All right, so. From a technical standpoint, and you touched on it a little bit with the, with the UI, talk a little bit about you know how you have to approach and plan for that because it used to be when we were just doing efigs, it's like as long as you left enough space for the German words, you were fine. Yeah. But it's not that way anymore. No, so I mean, there's there's certainly a lot of um, cross work goes between the UI. And, and the LQE process here. Um, we within the game, uh, if I may, there's uh, a, a, a machine called an ATM machine where you're capable of approaching that machine at any point and upping your lingua or version of mana by taking on language challenges. You can also review the words that you've also already learned and you can retake some of the conversations that you've already had with NPCs as dialogue challenges. Now, Within that, we've narrowed our screen down so that it looks like a screen that you're 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 staring at. I can't quite do it right, but and then within that screen we have the UI. And then within that we have the boundaries of the selected words, as you're saying. So there was definitely a lot of push and pull there. It kind of comes to a point where it's like we can't do anything else here. Uh, without affecting the entire game. So in some cases, you may see Japanese characters ever so slightly just spilling out of that initial uh, UI template within the screen. Um, those are just tough calls you're going to have to make at points, you know, especially, as I say, when you're taking on 10 whole languages and some of these languages are a little more uh, intense than others, uh, it just comes down to, okay, does it work, though? Is it spelled right, you know? Um, yeah, obviously, in a perfect world, it'd be so much better if we could fit everything in perfectly, just how it is. But that's just—it's hmm, the nature of the game. You're quite nature of the industry. Sorry, you're never going to be 
uh, have it entirely perfect the way you want it. So let's segue a little bit into dealing with players. So mm -hmm. the game did not launch at mostly positive, correct? Um, I, I can't speak to the reviews, but you know, it, it didn't do gangbuster numbers. We weren't uh, picking up any awards at Game of the Year awards or anything like that. Um, and what's been fantastic about this opportunity now is that opposed to trying to continuously put out little patches and patch any little holes um, at the expense of our own sanity, we've been granted an opportunity to actually give this a Hail Mary go. Like, okay, we're happy with what we put out. There are some mistakes, um, inevitably. But thanks to, again, down to the community and down to the CEO uh, at 30 Parallel, we were gifted the opportunity to let's really go and hammer in. Let's get all of these fixed that we can at the one time and let's provide some quality of life improvements. Let's provide some FTU improvements for anyone who's not in the biz. That's just jargon for your tutorial, your first time user experience. How are people enter entering the game? How are they experiencing the game? Um, so we've had like this really cool journey at the moment for us that's been this potential to not re-release the game. You could call it a soft relaunch in some ways, but certainly curve off some of the edges uh, that you, we wouldn't have otherwise been allowed to curve off. And I think, again, with the help of the community uh, and with the help of, uh, with the hard work of, of the studio, we've managed to provide uh, an update that's, uh, been very well received uh, by that community. There's there's players who have been playing this game for uh, donkey's age now uh, and keep coming back to it to check for these updates, keep coming back to it to check for this type of stuff. Uh, one of the biggest things we had was ultra-wide, ultra-wide screens. Um, that for some reason, that's so hot right now on Steam. And it was a continuous request from people. <laughs> can, can you make this fit in ultra-wide? Can you make this fit in ultra-wide? Uh, so yeah, things like that have just been, it's it's not every day you get the chance to remake or, or, or at least uh, polish off some of the stuff um, that otherwise would have just been launched and left to die. Um, yeah, and that's the way, again, showing my age, that's the way it used to always be. It's like once yeah. it got shipped in the box, go to Best Buy or GameStop or wherever, it's like, that was it. You're done. You're finished. Now yeah. just you can plan on doing add-on. But we've seen over the years, obviously, there's there's games that have come out and done well with it. There's games that have come out and done horrible with it. You got things like, I think the the big centerpiece is No Man's Sky, which came out to such a absolute thrashing from the community, but now is yeah. absolutely fantastic game. When, you know, you launch a game that has that mediocre, that tepid response, on top of the fact that you're trying to ship something educational into Steam, which is not exactly the yeah. best platform for that. Sign up today for the Indie Game Business Newsletter. It's a weekly source of business news curated for indie dev teams. We've got discounts on all Indie Game Business events and events from all of our partners. You get a first look at the summaries and takeaways from all of our podcasts. 
There are exclusive opportunities for promotions and early access to new tools for development, monetization, and more. Check it out. Sign up. PowellGroupConsulting.com slash publisher dash list. Where do you start prioritizing, you know, this new content and these updates in terms of, okay, what's a technical issue where, you know, what are, if we have any class A bugs in there, class B bugs, what are the quality of life things? What are just the consumer feedback? How do you start looking at that and triaging and organizing and deciding what to do when? Well, I think, uh, you know, one of the interesting things here about No Man's Sky is something I've spoken about quite a lot recently. Um, the idea that uh, the disc that comes with the game, if you bought the physical copy, had less on it than the day one patch was very <laughs> interesting. Uh, and while I agree with you, certainly we're living in this very uh, tumultuous age of, you know, paying 70 quid for a game and it might not even be a working game at launch, uh, is, is a horrifying prospect. Um, however, the opportunity we have, at least via Steam, is to be able to uh, provide a level of service and care to a product that we're putting out. Um, in which case, as you said, it potentially before it would have come out, any mistakes that were in that language uh, learning game would be there. Um, but going back to the second half of your question, more so it's about the language at the end of the day. Uh, and for us, that was a you know, frustrating, but at the same time, uh, uh, important aspect that we made sure that we got as much of that right as possible. And that anyone who is attempting to, to, to brush up on any one of these languages has the capability to do so. So for me, those were always prioritized. Um, the second thing for me, but first and foremost, as a game designer, for me was the, again, it's a Futuri, it's how are people coming into this game we had the demo uh, up. The, we don't have a demo for 2.0 at the moment. That's going to be coming up shortly. I'm going to pull down the old demo because we now have the updated version of the game. Um, but that in and of itself for me was like, well, if people of all experience levels can come into this game, and I'm talking experience level as a gamer, experience level as a, a language learner, can come into this game and intuitively be able to play it start to finish then that's a huge thing. Now, again, the product that was launched, fantastic. It already had a lot of the stuff in there that was necessary for that. My job was simply just to kind of boost that stuff ever so slightly and make sure that we had as many hints as possible, which, you know, I certainly had a bit backwards and forwards with our, our, our producer, uh, Carlos, who, who's a little more of a, a, a sadist, I would think, kind of gamer. He <laughs> likes to figure it out himself. He, he, you know, he's like, hey, but Bobby, you know, we, we want gamers not to be stupid. We want them to be uh, very good. And I'm like, yeah, that's that's understandable. But the good gamers will figure that out without the hints, you know. And that's not to say you're a bad gamer if you didn't figure it out. I spent a good few hours playing this game, running around in circles, because I was doing the Beveryman thing of skipping the hints and going, I don't need the hints. I don't need the hints. I'm not play computer games. It's fine. Uh-oh. What am I doing here? Uh-oh, I'm lost. Uh, I think that was an excellent case study of 
okay, we want to cater to language learners. We also want to cater to the average gamer, to the average person who's, who might possibly pick this up or have this given to them and go, oh, well, what's this? Can I play it start to finish? So for me, the language aspect, first and foremost, obviously being a language learning game, uh, but also that the the core game loops inside of that had enough support from the rest of, of, of the design of the game uh, so that players could seamlessly uh, skip between uh, learning and combat and, and just playing around in a, a mystical world. All right. And so if you're out there watching and listening and you've got questions or anything that goes along with localization and language learning and education and or um, post-launch content and dealing with your consumers that you have to keep engaged, drop it in chat. We'll get the answers going. So once you've got prioritized the things that shipped with the game that need to be adjusted, corrected, fixed, whatever. Mm -hmm. Where do you start with, okay, so what type of new stuff are we going to add? How are we going to keep gamers engaged in this for a long term, not just like for the first 30 days? That's a fantastic question. Uh, because when the initial game dropped, uh, solo RPG, you can explore the first level, complete all the side quests or, or some of the side quests or none of the side quests. Travel to the second level where there's a hell of a lot more to do. It's a bigger, wider, sprawling city, a lot more action. Again, plenty of side quests. And then the third uh, third level, sprawling uh, sandy desert with, with deep dark dungeons and some fantastic puzzles there. Um, you would then essentially go on to complete the game. I won't give any spoilers on that. Um, however, what we were able to do was go back in and say, well, hold on a minute, I might want to keep playing. I might want to go back and do those side quests. So we have a teleportation system between these levels, and we were able to trigger it so that, well, no, now you can get right up to end-of-game content and even complete end-game content and then still have the ability to traverse backwards and forwards across the whole world. That's a huge thing. It's a small thing. Uh, uh, um, design-wise and development-wise, I would argue, uh, for, for the payoff. The payoff's immense. It means that if you should wish to go on and 100% your build, you don't have to do it in this meticulous, difficult way to begin with, making sure you click absolutely everything, uh, you know, looking at read-ups and what have you. Um, excuse me. Some of the other stuff for me, was integral was to really highlight the the combat. We have an awesome combat system here. I'm not the biggest pro, uh, proponent of turn-based combat. I just always kind of find it a bit stiff and boring, personally. Uh, I know there's plenty of examples of it not being like that, so so don't don't well, come I, at me. I mean, you're wrong, Bobby, <laughs> but that's the side of the yeah, board. Yeah. Like... <laughs> it's, just, it's a taste thing, okay? It's a taste thing. Uh, but in this situation, we were, you know, uh, given a really cool system that's not based on tit for tat, you hit me, I hit you. There is a, a timing meter, and there's a spell cast meter, which quite literally means uh, you have to reach the spell casting meter before you can actually cast the spell. Now, that affords us opportunity of doing some real cool stuff with the actual uh, skill trees and developments, allowing the players to boost their focus uh, and the speed of which they can actually cast spells allowing for a more customizable uh, uh, build set. 
but then over and above that, it gives us cool mechanics where you're able to interrupt uh, people's spells because you can see them coming. Beforehand, there were small meters in the GUIs of the, the avatar images of you and your combatant. Unless you'd played the game for a good while, you probably didn't know what those meters meant. This allows us the opportunity to go back to an, an original design that was actually poo-pooed by our, our CEO because he didn't like it, uh, was that, that gauge meter presented at the front. Now, one of the cooler things even then afforded is that we're sitting here going, yeah, but a lot of old school players or people who have played it before might not like that. And that's quite a big change to implement, to put this big splash GUI bar across the combat. So we... Uh, we set it up so that that's optional. You can have up to three separate ways of being able to view the combat with your original, with the new, or with a combination, or, you know, uh, back to the original, none at all kind of thing. And that's, again, <laughs> not many teams get the chance to, okay, you've done the thing, you're happy with how you've done the thing to an extent. If we let you do it again, how would you do it? And that's been just such a, such a cool uh, experience to be part of was to be able to develop those things and go back to those old arguments and things that were thrown out. Why were they thrown out? Was it a money thing? Was it a time thing? Do we really think this is actually going to be beneficial in the long run? Uh, and for me, it was. It was a huge, huge thing. I enjoyed the turn-based combat in the game, but I didn't always time it right. I could easily get distracted or become quite confused as to why I was losing. With the invention, well, with the integration of these bars, it, again, Banfridge Gamer here, I'll put my hand up and say it, you know, I was console for for majority of my days. Um, to, to have that extra little acknowledgement of what's going on and me being able to focus and read into what's about to happen, um, it means when I get frustrated and go to flip the table, that I know it's a skill issue. It's not <laughs> It's not the game. It's not anything I've designed wrong. It's it's me. I'm the problem. It's me, to quote Taylor Swift. Again, it's always the game. It's, 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 never, it's never us. It's, just like, it's always the game. I always know I'm playing a proper Mario game when I hit the point where I want to throw my controller at the wall. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I get it now. It, this, is, this is normal. So, you know, one of the things that I'm thinking of when you go back and you say you get to end game and then you're going to teleport back to an earlier level. Did y'all have to go back and, and scale those levels now because you can basically trounce it as a max level character or how did that work? Well, I, th there was certainly some uh, uh, balancing, rebalancing done. Um, and I think uh, for the most part, what we've allowed the player to do is to reach that pinnacle OP point and then, yeah, be able to go back and whoop some ass. Um, it, 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 it certainly will feel a little uh, odd to you to go back to high school after the, the three levels you've been through and then just start <laughs> kicking the ass of your old class. No, no, that is absolutely um, fine. That is <laughs> but, you know, with, with the differences, the capability within the game is that you can switch your loadout of spells any given time. So you may be able to build up quite a good uh, core skill set uh, to essentially have a, a, a big boost over the other characters, the, the NPCs that you will be combating with. 
However, you still then have the capability to go and go, well, I'm going to start from a fresh deck. I'm going to have these these spells that I haven't specced up, these spells that I haven't upgraded, that I don't know exactly what they're going to do, perhaps, or how well it's going to benefit my loadout. Uh, so there's a lot of room there for uh, you know experimentation. And then once you've done that, there's nothing to stop you going back and starting a new build, going through the whole process again, knowing now what you know, having learned the language, uh, <laughs> a lot of the language that you have now learned gives you a huge leg up. Like I say, like my first playthrough was fun. The second or third playthrough, I, I was really getting into it because I'm like, I know all these words now. I can I can skill up pretty fast here. I can I can get to OP a hell of a lot faster than before, and it very much becomes a okay. I've got this another go uh, from scratch kind of kind of game as well as giving you the opportunity to go in a hundred percent. Uh, pick up all the all the the side quests and collectibles and what have you. Yes, yeah, so you learn after a while that when you cast that spell on you, that was not a healing spell. That was a fireball. You mm -hmm. don't know that until you learn what infuego means. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. we've got a good question from Twitch. What stopped you guys from making it a hardcore horror game? I think this would be the urgency of needing to know what people are saying in the game if there was a horrific monster that would rip you apart if you didn't <laughs> learn the language. Uh, shout out to Spurdunky and Friends. I uh, appeared on his, uh, their podcast a, a few weeks back now. It's an absolute pleasure. R real cool guys. Um, what stopped us from making a hardcore horror game? Well, I think it was maybe aimed a little more family-friendly, slightly kids-orientated based on the uh, you know, based on the aesthetic, the uh, whimsical, magical uh, future technology world, um, you know, thinking Harry Potter meets cyberpunk, but a little more, uh, a little more grounded, a little more uh, Chris Nolanified, if you will. Um, I think <laughs> I'm actually quite intrigued to know uh, if there had been plans for it to turn it into a horror, or if there are ways to turn it into a horror. I think there are, uh, specifically with some of the characters and some of the later characters that we have in the game. I genuinely kind of got a jolt anytime it would jump into combat with certain characters and I'm like, oh, 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 oh hell no. Oh, that is way too OP. That's terrifying. That's terrifying. But I think that's just the gamer and me knowing I'm about to get my ass handed to me. Um, <laughs> more part of the fear, but uh, yeah. And, and that's I, I, why I, I still haven't bought Elden Ring. It's like I don't want to get my ass handed to me day in and day out in a game. That's not what I'm playing for. Well, like you say, we've done that back in the day with the platformers uh, to, <laughs> to, to an extent. You know, I always say, often say, people who play this platforming game, I'm like, my days are long behind me. I tortured myself with Donkey Kong Country to the max on the SNES, and that's all I need. Thank you very much. Super Meat Boy, no thank you. You're okay. <laughs> I, I love seeing those stories on Reddit where someone, you know, my age hands their kid and says, okay, get to level three of the Lion King from SNES and then you can get a dog or a pony or what the... Because you know, there's no way in hell they're ever going to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's it. So where does this go from here? I mean, we've seen this latest wave of games in the last couple of years have started, you know, saying post-launch content equals new game plus. And sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. But where do you plan on taking the game next over the next couple of months or a year or how far, however far out you want to plan? Yeah. So at the moment, uh, the main impetus has been behind this 2.0 update. 
the big push, the big Hail Mary swing. Um, there's been a lot of uh, learning curve. It's interesting you mentioned earlier about Steam pages and, and marketing and, and releasing to not rave reviews, shall we call it. Um, a lot of the learning that we've done from that, I believe, has set us up fantastically. Our, uh, our awesome uh, marketer, uh, Julia, came on board and almost immediately pulled us up and was like, guys, what's going on with the labels on your Steam account? You haven't labeled this like the competitors or, or similar games of ours. And it really, you know, it was a, a break stopping moment. I'm like, huh, we surely thought we tagged this the way that was appropriate. But that little bit of insight of someone going, yeah, but look at what the other games in your field or area are doing. And this is maybe why they're making such uh, uh you know, such waves uh, c comparatively and those things are scary to find out but they're good to know before you go for your, your second swing before you go for your big update um, and at the same time we have plans for the world of Terralia I can't go into too much detail uh, what I can say is if you like switching <clears throat> between consoles um, then keep your ears peeled for that because there may be may or may not be uh, an announcement coming soon, and uh, there are other plans uh, in the long run to take this workflow pipeline that we've created of understanding language, of understanding how to use that within a game loop, uh, and the work that's been spent on that LQ <laughs> keyword spent um, gives us an opportunity there to, as I said almost become like the experts in the field at this. Should that be the way that the, the studio wishes to take it? Um, I think there's a tremendous amount of opportunity there for us to be able to learn from this experience, but also be able to benefit from it, uh, no matter the outcomes. Uh, for me, it's more so now about getting as many eyes on the product as possible, as appearing on podcasts and trying to find these newer ways uh, of marketing, you know, again, coming back to Julia, she's been fantastic with her TikTok and her, her Twitters and her, her Instagrams. And these are the type of things that, while we're being uploaded to at the time, we did not have a dedicated person that was tracking those uh, socials. And she's been fantastic and incredible at literally coming to us with weekly reports of, here's how many eyes you're getting on every post. Here's how many things you're missing. Um, here's where we didn't post this week and you can see a direct dip. Um, here's what is doing good and here's what isn't doing good. For one of the longest times, weirdly enough, some of the old, oldest, earliest TikTok videos we put from like a year and a half ago were still outperforming new content that was going out. But that was a great case study for us to be able to then find out what was going to do good. And some of the more recent posts have actually been showing a hell of a lot more engagement in comparison. And it's given us a huge leg up on, again, understanding how these things are going to go. Uh, I know Julia's got like a bright future ahead of her within marketing, uh, within the studio as well, uh, to be able to take those skills and to take that workflow pipeline that she's designing uh, and apply that to, to any title uh, that should come down, come down the road in the future. All right, so that brings up a whole another section of shit that we haven't talked about yet. You all self-publish this game. So yeah. you not only had to figure out the development side, the, the testing, all the localization requirements, all of this stuff, you also had to figure out how to sell it. 
Yes. So what were some of the biggest challenges that came from that aspect of the project compared to the actual development? I believe it was the marketing. I believe, again, you know, as you say, we brought Julia on board and she was very thorough, very, very thorough. As thorough as any developer would be in their craft of knowing what they need to know to, 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 to be able to excel the production of the game. Um, she was phenomenal at coming in and just straight away with analytics, hammering us with analytics going, look, 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 these analytics mean something. And we need to build something based off of these analytics, whether that's the marketing campaign, whether that's singular ads, whether that's just how we interact with the community. We thankfully already had a, a, a good uh, Discord community there uh, that was being listened to and reacted with. However, having a marketer uh, who, who works within social media as well to be able to come in and regularly update, you know, apart from her job has uh, almost become the reporter of any bugs or concerns between the Steam pages, between the uh, the Discord community of, hey, is this a thing? Is this a, is this a scale issue? Or is this a, a one-off kind of problem with their hardware? Um, and she's been integral in communi communicating with that community. And I think a lot of the bonuses within that have been this two-way relationship. When you're uh, fans, uh, early adopters, uh, 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 you, the, the buyers of your product speak, it is very integral that you listen. Not only listen, but actually analyze what's being said. It would be very easy to take what's being said to you, you know, on the chin and maybe, you know, roll your eyes. Like, yeah, sure thing, buddy. You don't know what it's like to make games, though. Um, but it's a lot harder to go, okay, so. What do you mean by that? Could you get back to me with your system set up? What is it that you're using? Is this a, is, is, again, is this a hardware issue? How can we identify and recreate this bug? Let's try and recreate this bug. Right, we have a solution or we have a patch or we know why it's happening. It's, it's on their end. Let's communicate that as soon as possible. Let's, let's get back to them. You know, uh, I'm a huge fan of a, a bit of a social media marketing influencer called Gary Vee. He's not everyone's cup of tea. He's a bit of a, a Marmite kind of guy, we call it in the UK. Uh, you either love him or hate him. But one of the things he said was that if someone is taking the time of day to comment on your ship, it is absolutely astounding that you would have any kind of gall to not respond to that person or to not take that comment seriously. Um, it's it, it just means you're full of yourself, is what it actually means. And thankfully, with, with that Parallel, they're cultivated a community there where it's a two-way conversation, where we're now very beholden to them for those positive reviews in more ways than one. And we probably wouldn't have had those positive reviews had we not actually reacted the way that we believe most companies should. Is uh, you know, uh, you can say the customer's always right. You know, it's maybe not the the, <laughs> especially in the age of Karen uh, 2.0 or whatever you call it. Uh, maybe not the perfect statement to make, but certainly, if the customer's going to give you the time of day, then you should probably uh, afford them in kind. I would say. So, what when it comes to again, good point here with the analyzing social media and using analytics, which I don't think enough developers do. But at the same time, I think it's because it's not something inherently easy to do. 
Yes. What tools are you all using to keep track of, you know, where social media is finding bugs and issues that come up with the game? Is it something in particular or is it literally like cutting and pasting out of Twitter into a spreadsheet? Yep, a bit, a, a, a bit of both. Um, so for anyone who's released games on Steam, so you know you have your community hub, uh, but over and above that, you do have your comments and reviews. Um, I would argue anything that's posted in any there, anywhere there, this is your store's front page. This is literally what people are coming are seeing. So it's on you to take the time to to really engage there and try and turn that mixed review into a positive or try and turn that one review into, a, okay, it might be, may have been a, be a, be a bad experience for you, excuse me. Um, but we've done a lot of work now to try and turn that around. Um, what I know Julia does is uh, goes in very deep to any and all of the software and social medias that we use. So for instance, with your Steam, uh, she has Steam analytics up to a point uh, she knows very well how to read those analytics uh, and also which part of those analytics are just fooey. It's just unreadable or very non-specific. Therefore, you can't really glean too much into it. Uh, she will then go essentially and, yeah, quite literally copy and paste those analytics, whether it's the Twitter posts, whether it's the, 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 the Instagrams and the TikToks, something as simple as just quite literally charting the, the views. Um, it's not perfect, but it's a lot more than forethought than I've seen going to these type of things before on a you know on a on a smaller level with teams that don't have dedicated marketers. Uh, there's this kind of to me, it's always been this kind of idea like build it and they will come, post it and they will they will buy. And as we know, it's just not the case. You really have to be engaged with how well your products are being perceived, how well the marketing you're doing is actually being perceived. Um, and again, one of the things that Julia's managed to fantastically isolate is the difference between just posting for posting's sake and actually posting for, you know, for value, posting for for people who are interested in, in the process, posting the here's how it was, here's how it's going, you know, sticking with those kind of memes and themes of the time um, that are, you know, invaluable in many ways to get getting eyes on that uh on that social media post and that marketing because as we know it's such a huge part of selling any game is getting as many eyes as you can on the product you're always going to get a click through you're probably not even going to get five percent of a click through based on the amount you put out there but that's all the more reason to not only put as much out there as you can but make it as focused as you can at least to a certain extent uh you'll come back to gary v very much document don't create uh, you could spend hours making this very polished post, this beautiful post and video. In that time, you probably could have put out three or four where you were talking directly to your fan base, where you're talking directly to your community, where you're talking directly to the industry that you're involved in <laughs> and arguably getting exponentially more uh, engagement with that type of content than your one-off polished fancy video that everyone's just going to look at and go, is it an advert? Oh, okay. Well, I, I have to give a huge shout out to Mariah and Ash on our team because last night I was sitting on the couch watching the hockey game and I got an email that's like, your latest TikTok video has 3,000 views. And I was like, what the fuck? What? Um, but <laughs> it, it is. You have to put it out there. They do a wonderful job. And yes, folks, we have a TikTok. Don't ask me how to work it or anything. I don't know. <laughs> um, but 
yes, it's there. But Bobby, I mean, you all have done an amazing project here. And I want to make sure that you realize and everyone listening realize how big a deal it is that you not only build a game, but you incorporated education into it in a meaningful way. You then turned around and self-published it and you have kept it live and revamped it and updated it and listened to your players and the community in general. And that is not a small thing. That is a absolute huge, huge ordeal. So, I mean, major props to you and the entire team over yeah. at 30 Parallel. On behalf of the team, thank you very much. I know they worked uh, a lot harder than myself uh, <laughs> in the initial phases of getting this stuff up and done. Um, I just came in and took all the glory at the end. They jumped onto the book. <laughs> yes, that's, um, that's what we're here for. <laughs> we definitely clear this is entirely extracurricular on my half. I'm just trying <laughs> to help promote the game as much as I can. But uh, I know the team would uh, be thrilled to hear that because um, it's it, – Anyone who plays the game has come back to us with a real good attitude towards the game. Um, even, even when it is just a, this word's wrong, this translation's wrong, it doesn't come from a place of negativity. It comes from a place of someone who's played the game thoroughly and went, hmm, that's wrong. It'd be good if they know that. And I wonder if they'd change it. And we do. So... So there you go. We posted the link earlier, but I will do it again right here. Um, I, I you sold me a copy of it in the middle of this talk, so you're you're good there. You have at <laughs> least accounted for uh, like ten dollars in revenue. So that's that, that's a wonderful thing. Um, there's the game. We are out of time anyway. Finally, but- it's over, so I can go play this game. <laughs> Well, if I may, before we wrap up, guys, I just want to thank you guys very, very much, not only just for allowing me to appear, but for the work that you guys do with this community, with this podcast. It's been a huge uh, benefit and value to myself. I have spent copious hours jumping into the voice chats in the Discord, listening or going back and catching on the YouTube and including the events and workshops that you put on that have just been absolutely phenomenal. Sorry, uh, Pebs are on, on the go. No, I mean, th- thank you so much. That that that's why we do this. And so the workshop that he's um, <laughs> Pebs, you're you're in the industry now. Technically, you get played to play all the games as far as the IRS. Yeah, that's that. Right? So I mean, don't don't it's stress all too much the write off. Everything you ever buy that has anything yes. to do with sitting on your butt in front of a computer or or gaming system is a write off. Or Steam Deck or consoles or anyway. Um. I, oh, so the workshop that Bobby may have been talking about, I don't know if is or not, we are back in the realm of doing pitch deck reviews live on the Discord server. And if you want to have yours reviewed, hit us up. Uh, Ash has got the information on there, but these things are full. It's like I looked over there yesterday and there were 20, 25 people in the video chat. Mm-hmm. And so... It's a wonderful thing. It is completely 100% free. Use it. Get real-world feedback on your pitch from scouts and people you know that work at the Epic Store and, and Steam and all of these wonderful places. Um, but, yeah, with, with that, Dan. Yeah. If you guys have any questions about anything, don't ask Jay or Heather or me. Ask Pebs in the Discord. <laughs> she is full-time now. So Yes. yes. Yay. Congrats. 
Awesome. And welcome to full time. That's amazing. She's she's doing such amazing. But yes, thank you so much. Whoop whoop. Uh, Tripwire Presents sponsored this uh, podcast right here. So thank you so much. Tripwire Presents is amazing, and we really appreciate your sponsorship. Thank you so much, Bobby White, for coming. B Dubs for coming out. B Dubs in the house. He's also in the Discord. Join the Discord if you're not in it. Discord.gg slash indie game business and the uh, next indie bang game indie bang indie game business conference comes. different podcast. <laughs> the indie game business <laughs> conference slow in that one? is is happening in a few months. It's happening. It's up. I'm gonna have to Google that now. <laughs> don't 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 look that up. Don't better better steal that. <laughs> Oh, oh God. It all must right. be that time in a Friday, gents, because we're all ah. hitting the giggles big time. <laughs> okay. Oh, no. um, we will be back next week. Dan won't be here. It'll be me on my own, so may God have mercy on all of us as I run <laughs> the show by myself. Um, but thanks, everybody. And have a wonderful weekend, and we will see you next week. Yes. Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at indiegame.business.